Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with me. Today is the first episode that will follow the new format in which I'm going to read directly from the text instead of giving you a summary. But here is the beauty of translations that are in the public domain. You are allowed to change them and uh, change change them. I, I undoubtedly will, especially with what we're working on right now. Uh, you'll recall today we are continuing the Bibliotheca. We are up to book three, chapter nine. I'm using the Sir James George Fraser translation that's unveil- available online in multiple places. I'm working from the perseus.tufts.edu website. Or again, that's my starting point, this Fraser translation. When we left off, Callisto had been turned into Ursa Major, but her son Arcus had not been turned into Ursa Minor. So today we will learn more about Arcus's descendants. I will try to pronounce all of these names without stumbling too much. So to begin, the Bibliotheca of Pseudo Apollodorus, Book 3, Chapter 9, translated by Sir James George Fraser, with some revisions by yours truly. Arcus had two sons, Elatus and Aphidus, by Leonira, daughter of Amyclus. Or maybe their mom was Meganira, the daughter of Croco, unless you ask Eumelus, in which case their mom was the nymph Chrysopelia. These divided the land between them, but Elatus had all the power, and he begat Stymphalus and Pyrrhus by Laodice, daughter of Kiniras, and Aphidus had a son, Elias, and a daughter, Sthenoboia, which I just love to say, who was married to Proteus. And Elias had a daughter, Auge, and two sons, Cepheus and Lycurgus, by Nera, daughter of Pyrrhus. Auge was seduced by Heracles and hid her baby in the precinct of Athena, because she was the priest of Athena. But the land went barren, and the oracles declared there was impiety in the precinct of Athena, so she was found out and delivered by her father to Nauplius to be put to death. Now, from him, Tuthrus, the prince of Mysia, saw her, married her, relatively happy ending given the direction her life was going. But the baby was exposed on Mount Parthenius. However, as always happens, he was suckled by a doe and hence came to be called Telephus. He was bred by Neaterds of Corythus and went to Delphi in quest of his parents. On information received from the god there, he repaired to Mycia and became an adopted son of Tuthrus, on whose death he succeeded to the princedom. Relatively happy story. Lycurgus had sons, Ancaeus, Epacus, Amphidamus, and Iasus by either Cleophile or Eurynome. Who knows? And Amphidamus had a son, Melanian, and a daughter, Antimachi, whom Eurystheus married. And Iasus had a daughter, Atalanta, by Clymene, the daughter of Minyas. This Atalanta was exposed by her father because he desired male children. However, a she-bear came often and gave her suck till some hunters found her and brought her up among themselves. Grown to womanhood, Antaletta kept herself a virgin, and hunting in the wilderness she remained always under arms. The centaurs, Roicus and Hylaeus, tried to rape her, but were shot down and killed by her. She went, moreover, with the chiefs to hunt the Caledonian boar, and at the games held in honor of Peleus, she wrestled with Peleus and won. Afterwards, she discovered her parents, somehow, we don't know, but when her father would have persuaded her to wed, she went away to a place that might serve as a race course, and having planted a stake, 
three cubits high in the middle of it, she caused her wooers to race her from there and ran herself in arms. And if the wooer was caught up, he was due death on the spot. And if he was not caught up, he was due marriage. When many had already perished, Melanion came to run for love of her, bringing golden apples from Aphrodite. And being pursued, he threw them down, and she, picking up the dropped fruit, was beaten in the race. So Melanion married her. And once on a time, it is said that out hunting, they entered into the precinct of Zeus, and there, taking their fill of love, were changed into lions. Unless you ask Hesiod. Uh, some others have said that Atalanta was not the daughter of Iasus, but of Sconios. And Euripides says that she was a daughter of Maenalus, and that her husband was not Melanian, but Hippomenes. And by Melanian, or maybe Ares, Atalanta had a son, Parthenopus, who went to war against Thebes. That was a lot of names, um, and I think we're going to find that I get to have a lot of fun trying to pronounce things in the Bibliotheca. And you can also see why <laughs> this is an interesting source. The author doesn't spend too much time on anything, and I also could not help myself providing commentary as I was reading it out loud. Um, anyway, what does this make me think of? Honestly, whenever I think of Atalanta and the race with the golden apples, I personally always go to a place that children of my generation remember. It's a place by the shining sea. It's a, it's a place where the horses run free. It's in the green country. Yes, that's right. It's a place where you and me are free to be. You and me. I love the retelling of Atalanta that's in Free to Be You and Me. And yes, I will put it in the blog. It's there waiting for you to enjoy if you are not already familiar with it or relive if, uh, like me, you are and could probably recite the whole thing yourself. Anyway, I like to think that maybe in the version of her story that ends with Atalanta and Melania being turned into lions, that it is as happy of an ending as the version that is told in Free to Be You and Me. Now, Atalanta is an interesting character, or perhaps I should say characters. There are really two different Atalantas in Greek mythology, so if you're saying, wait, what about all these other things? Different Atalanta. This is not the same one as the Atalanta that we saw when we covered the Argonautica, which does explain why our author doesn't mention that in this very brief story of her life. So for today's purposes, I'm going to stick with the Atalanta presented in this text. What I find interesting is that her father, who didn't want her in the first place, concedes to her demand that her husband be able to beat her in a foot race. And this story is frequently told in a way that this strong woman who killed not one but two centaurs who were trying to rape her, this woman is so flighty that she can be distracted by something shiny. Squirrel! It seems out of character for her. Now, it's true. Humans are complicated, and maybe that is what we should take from this story. We contain multitudes. But maybe there's something we're missing. That moment when Atalanta sees Melanian and thinks, ooh, 
I like him. And then he tosses that first golden apple, and she sees her chance to throw the race in his favor. So what do you think? What do you think of Atalanta or Arcus or anything else that was covered in the story? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. There's, as always, a link in the show notes. The current plan for the next episode is to continue with the Bibliotheca, which will be Book 3, Chapter 10. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.